0: John
1: Copenhagen
0: and Al Warren. Good on KCA. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And
1: 1050 AM
0: Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dollar Store Dave Rose <laughs> Martino. Oh, it's all the names. Yeah. Well, we want Did you to add some a more scary. You have to be scary today. I do. Yeah, we want you on the okay. scary side. You know, Her, uh, 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 kind of like, Yeah, the you know mafia, tough rose. You know, yeah, you might, you might be packing heat. Packing heat. But if you bought it at the dollar store, it's not really good heat. No, it's bad heat. <laughs> bad. Yeah, it's really, really bad, bad, bad. But somebody, you know, someone's going to keep them in business. Thank God for you. That's right. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> okay, that's too much. Yeah, that's a little too far. That's a that's, little too much. But that's okay. You know, that's what we're <laughs> all for. Uh, hey, I saw now a woman. She won. She has got, got into the Guinness World Records for having the longest mullet. Oh, really? People still have mullets? Yeah, I was going to say. Oh, this is they crazy. Come back? I, uh, well, you know, and they didn't tell me. No? But I couldn't grow one anyway. I mean, I'm, you know. <laughs> Not now I couldn't. <laughs> Those days are pretty much past. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, well. I wonder if I could go out and buy one. Oh like Dude. a wig. Yeah, like a wig. But then they yeah. reckon maybe at the dollar store. Yeah. Where you get your movies. Oh look. Oh <laughs> look. Yeah. Next time you're on, check it out for me. And you know <laughs> maybe I'm a looking blonde for one, you know? Mullets for a dollar twenty five. Yeah, and make sure they're not sticky. <laughs> I am mean, not even ask why. No, but I, I just you don't be. ask why. No, so I see you're uh, such a dirty mind. I was thinking someone maybe spilled some soda pop on it. Exactly. And, and you're thinking something. I'm disgusted. Yeah, yeah, my mind. Your mind takes us in my places mind. that shouldn't be legal. <laughs> Terrible behavior. You know, horrible, horrible person. And I have to check out this this guy. Also on NPR sent me this. They, they, this guy built a. Um, now, if you can picture this, a, uh, one of those wheels that you have, um, you know, your pet, I don't know, guinea pig or hmm. mouse run around in, in the cage. Yeah. Yeah. But he built a human size. Oh. There, and he decided <laughs> he was going to take this around the world on, on the ocean. Yeah. And, and they arrested him. But I'm just thinking, <laughs> oh, I saw that. Yeah, like, what is this? Like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> mental illness is just kind of going crazy right now. Why is this illegal, though? Well, I'm not saying, hey, <laughs> freedom of whatever. Well, I don't know that it's illegal. Yeah, I, I think they were looking out for his safety. Yeah, probably. You know? Probably. <laughs> probably bought all of his parts at the dollar store. You know? Probably. Put it together, you know. Put it together, and yeah. Well, now, <laughs> and now let's get on to the serious stuff here. Now, today we right. are talking with a fantasy author who I call science fiction, but people yell at me when I do that. So, um, and he's written uh, a series called The Soul Forge Universe, and he's got book three out Windwalker, High Cliff, Guardians Epic Fantasy Series. So, Mr. Richard H. Stevens, thank you for joining us today.
1: Hi guys, thank you for having me on. I listened to your conversation about mullets, and I it's something I always aspired to have was a mullet, but I could never get one because my hair would not stay down. I actually had my hair professionally straightened uh, three times, and whenever the wind blew, it it just went straight up. So now I have like a crew cut, just so I don't have to worry about it. But uh, I always wanted to look like Andy Gibb or Sean Cassidy, but uh, it was <laughs> never to be. So,
0: well, Sean Cassidy kind of had that feathered hair. Look. Yeah, yeah, well, I want the feather, to feather the
1: mullet, but anything like that. I wanted to look. Uh, you know like something cool. like the, the, the girls just dug back in the 80s but uh it wasn't to me so no i took no. up writing instead
0: you see you could have been the next sean cassidy you could have been richard cassidy you could have been the third son <laughs>
1: yeah i didn't have do, it. <laughs> I couldn't do it no no you, to write you were this, made to write for the dancing. Story, not, 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 Yeah.
0: could you imagine that would have been fun <laughs> well so how do you get into this world like cause, okay so you know, i understand this. You built this universe this soul force universe and you've put characters in and all that and you've developed this whole scenario and all these things happen and so how do you sit down and create this world like and create the rules and and what how the world works
1: yeah so fantasy is a uh, so many ways you can write fantasy a lot of people spend years uh, developing magic systems and building worlds and stuff like that uh, i can't be bothered i'm too lazy to do that. so what I do is I take a a, main, a a character, I figure out what he is, what's his, what his problem is, and then I just open up the front door and I give him a kick in the backside and uh, we discover the world together. And as he starts stumbling his way through life, uh, I start writing it down and it's almost like I'm at the theater watching a movie through his eyes and I write down what I see. So in the very first book, Soul Forge, I kicked him out the front door. He walked through this uh, overgrown front yard, through this broken gate, into the forest, and that was my world at that time. I didn't know what else was in that world. Uh, he walked through the forest and he turned north along a path that I decided I'm going to name it Redfire Path. So now my character's in a forest on Redfire Path, and that's my world. So he comes out of the forest, he's in a field, and he's looking at these distant mountains, and that is my world at that time. So I just keep going on and building my world step by step as uh, my characters see it. At some point, to make it realistic, even though it's fantasy, uh, once he reaches a, another city, then now I have to figure out it took him so long to get to that city, I need to write that down because in future books, if someone else is walking that distance, they've got to arrive at that state around the same amount of time. So there is some realism and fantasy as well. And at that point, I will start drawing a map, and the map will start evolving as my characters go. And after 14 books, I've got uh, five really developed maps. And uh, I use Excel spreadsheets to keep track of my characters and their mannerisms and clothing and stuff like that. So I, I've had a, a case where, you know, a character's got blue eyes in an early chapter in the book, but this is a minor character, so, you know, I don't think much of them. Uh, the main character crosses them later on in the book, and all of a sudden they have uh, a different color eyes, and my beta readers and my editors will pick that out. And thank goodness they do. So at that point, I decided, okay, I need Excel spreadsheets so I can have a tab open every time I'm writing about Alan Warren. And I can describe uh, his, <laughs> his nice mullet. And then I can describe Dave coming out of the dollar store. And, uh, yep. so I, you know, so the map will show the dollar store that Dave's at. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and he's in his pinto. Sure. So, so I, I don't <laughs> put a lot of thought into my roles at first, but they, they evolve as my story evolves.
0: Well, well, epic fantasy, how how would you define it, and how would you say that it differs from other types of fantasy and science fiction? We're, we're trying to uh, teach Al the difference between the various types of fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, you know what, that's a great area.
1: Uh, my take on epic and high fantasy is they're pretty close. Uh, I consider Game of Thrones more high fantasy because it's, uh, it's a battle between houses, a battle between, uh like, ruling factions between castles and stuff like that where epic fantasy is a little bit more like lord of the rings where you know you still have the the castles and the ruling houses but it, that's not the main storyline the main storyline is that these epic quests that they go across these amazing lands and i know they do that also so there's a crossover between epic and high fantasy but uh, both those genres take place in the writer's world not in our real world and so you know there's um, Other kinds of fantasy, paranormal fantasy, and stuff like that, they will take place in our world. And there's not a lot of world building there, other than you know they might have a fictitious town. But uh, it's, I think that's what separates uh, epic and high fantasy from every other fantasy is that it takes place in its own worlds. Lord of the Rings is the Middle Earth, Soulforge universe is on the different lands that I have. So high high fantasy, fantasy.
0: you do pot, you get stoned.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So the the political, I think, is more high fantasy, and uh, the quest-driven fantasy where they go across lands, I think, is more epic. So that's how I see the difference.
0: Well, and you, uh, in my opinion, you obviously start with your character, or your character and you, as you say, are kind of discovering the world. So the character's got to be the key um, point of the story. And also, you know, people also follow that. If you think about it, you know, characters are what will drive people, and they'll follow your series and that character for, it could be a hundred years. Like I was talking about that, like Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. people still rewrite, people still go to England looking for his house. Like they, they act like it's a real person. So your character is, is the key. So who is your main character? And I mean, that is in like, how how do you create this character?
1: Uh, my main character in the original book was just someone I envisioned as being this, uh, very benevolent person when he was young like uh he literally saw the good in everything so you could go up and you could you know, pretty well punch him in the face and he would apologize for being in your fist way he was just a good guy who saw the best in everything and uh
0: sounds canadian
1: he, yeah he said yeah he, he apologized <laughs> for everything for sure but uh so when you actually meet him in Soul Forge, he's no longer a young man he's now 45 and now to me that's young <laughs> but when i was writing it that was young And uh, when you meet him, he's a bitter, cantankerous uh, lech. He's an alcoholic. He wants nothing to do with the world, and he just hates everybody. And the story is about, uh, you know, the backstory is about what turned him into that type of person because he literally saw the good in everything when he was younger, and life conspired to just beat him down to the point that he didn't care anymore. And uh, that that original story uh, started where... uh, the kingdom needed him to come out of retirement and save them from the sorcerer that was devastating the land. And they couldn't find him because he had become a reckless. Uh, while he was out saving the kingdom when he was young, uh, he, he came home to find uh, his family slaughtered. So while he was saving them, no one looked after his family and that, that uh, turned him against them. But anyway, uh, an old man, uh, a messenger for the senior for the chamber of the wise, finds him. Uh, convinces him that the kingdom and the people's needs is greater than him. his own loathing of them. And he convinces him to come out of retirement to, uh, you know, try and deal with a sorcerer that no one else can deal with. And, uh, so the story turned out to be, it turned into Soul Forge. It was called uh, originally the River Styx. But when someone said they love Greek mythology, I, oh my God, there's no Greek mythology in my book. I just love the name of the river. So I changed it and it became Soulforge. And it's all about him trying to reclaim his soul because he used to be this very, benevolent person but three books came out of that there was never supposed to be a dragon in my books and in book three a dragon showed up and when that happened it opened up my whole universe so I write my books in trilogies and I was only ever going to write that original trilogy but uh, when the dragon showed up like I said I have gone back a time now to explain why there's no mention of dragons in the first couple books and then when I was writing that series uh, an elf comes into my story and I was never going to write about elves but she showed up anyway and uh, she talked about her 700 year old elf queen and as soon as I wrote that line, I thought, "Oh, I got to stop what I'm doing now and start writing the High Cliff Guardian series." But then I thought, "No, I don't want to George R. Martin my fans." And it, it's a shame that George has now become a verb, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't do that to my fans. So I finished that trilogy, and now I've gone back in time to write the High Cliff Guardian. So every one of my trilogies has its own main character, and all my trilogies stand on their own. So you can pick up any trilogy of my universe and read it from book one to book three. And once you're done, the third book, you never have to read me again and you'll be happy to read a story.
0: Right. But these characters, what's your relationship with them? And, and this can take many aspects because so, you know, when you write a series and it's over, so to speak, or you're finished with it, what happens to that character?
1: Uh, they either become a historical figure or I will write further about them in a different series. So, the Highcliff Guardians is all about the rise of the Elf Queen. Her name is Odling Wise in book one. She's a spoiled princess, but uh, she uh, actually like becomes, me. She becomes this great Elven Queen. <laughs> but when the Highcliff Guardians is over, that story is done, but that doesn't mean that's the end of Odling. There's another series that will connect uh, the Highcliff Guardians to my Legends of the Lurker series, which just takes place 700 years later, where the, the Queen is originally mentioned. So... I will link them together. And uh, some, of you know, dragons and elves and dwarfs, they live longer than people. They will sometimes make it into other series as well. The Legend of the Lurker series is about a, a female, just a, a woman. And she's, because she's human, she doesn't live that long. So Rika's story starts in book one in Rika's Flight, and it ends in book three, Rika's Legacy. And you'll never hear about Rika again other than... Five hundred years down the road, in the Soul Forest, I Saga, someone might mention the old hill witch, so she becomes a historical figure. You won't meet that character again, but you'll get references to her. So, as you go along, there's certain little things that will tie everything together.
0: Well, you mentioned dragons and elves and dwarfs. Where do the where do these uh, mythological creatures come from? Do, do you do you stay with the standard mythology, or do you deviate? And how do you decide?
1: uh dragons i i got a series i'm going to be writing my original series i was supposed to write that in 2020 and i had a research trip planned to the british isles to visit merlin's cave and earth king arthur's castle and the stonehenge and all that other stuff and my world originally happened starts in uh, 15th 16th century england and scotland and it'll transport into my fictitious world and uh, I'm not going to spoil the story, but something happens that brings a, a dragon seed into the world. And uh, from that point on, the dragons are, are born. As far as elves and dwarfs, they already live there. So I don't have to actually create them. But I do create other. Uh, I've got the Voil, the Beer in the Soul Forge Saga. When I originally started writing I in 1982, I remember thinking to myself that as soon as I thought of the story, I'm thinking I'm never going to write about elves, dwarfs or dragons because everyone else does. And I don't want to be that guy. 36 years <laughs> later, and when I was writing into the madness, and the dragon showed up, all of a sudden, oh, God, i got to explain to my readers why, you know, there's no mention of dragons. So I went back and did the Rika's Flight series, and I started writing about dragons, and then an elf worked her way into the story, and next thing you know, that's all I write about is elves, dwarves, and dragons, and I absolutely love it. I'm that guy now, but uh, I remember when I was uh, 17 years old, I'm thinking, I'm not going to be that guy, but here I am. I'm that guy. You
0: turned into that guy.
1: I enjoy it. I don't do it because I'm trying to write the market. I know if you're in the literature world, they say if you want to make it big, you got to write the market. I want to write what I want to write, and it just so happens that the dragons force this way into my books, and now that's what I love doing. But, uh, yeah, it was just a, a fluke, really.
0: How do you create the personality of, of these, um, let's say, um, non-humans?
1: The non-humans, uh, I actually wrote a I, in high cliff guardians i wanted to write about something different because i had now elves and dwarves and dragons i'm thinking what can i challenge myself with now and i, oh, I, I played D D with my kids and stuff like that we did that online during covid and i, hmm, I want to write about a goblin and uh I already Salvatore writes about goblins and stuff like that all the time and if you play D, you know goblins are these pesky little creatures that you level up on when you're a low level character too they'll get experience points and advance your own character but uh I think I want to make my goblin different, so I made him the high wizard of the elves. And of course, the the elves being very highbrow and uh, uppity, they they're not happy about this goblin being their high wizard. But I wanted to challenge myself and give this goblin some substance and some character. So you will not level up on this goblin; he'll be leveling up on you. And uh, so I, I try to make my characters eclectic, make them have something that will stand out in your mind that you remember. Well, I remember Elfwin; he's the goblin with high wizard. And he's a crusty old thing who's always uh, berating his uh, apprentice. And you wonder why his apprentice just doesn't throw his staff up in the air and just walk away from him because he's just always getting scolded. But back, you know, deep down, people can see that this high, the high wizard goblin actually cares about everything. He's just a snarky thing that uh it's almost like he's got the way of the world on his shoulders and he likes to let everyone know that he's not impressed.
0: That's that's how I feel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have days <laughs> like that too, so he's probably part of me as well. All my characters are probably part of me somehow.
0: And how do you write the evil character? How do you get into the uh, mindset and and be able to write characters that are that are trying to hurt others or kill others or do bad things.
1: Yeah. And so far a like in my original series, uh, in book one, he's just mentioned that uh, you don't really see him until the very end. And as I was writing my subsequent books, I'm thinking, I want to actually give the evil character some uh, meaning to the reader. So, you know, none of us are inherently born evil. We're all born just as this lump of useless flesh that someone has to tend for a couple of years until we can start, you know, struggling our way through the world, and we grow up, and things that happen to us in the world will, you know, kind of change who we are. They'll make who we are, whatever. So now I'm starting to uh, make my character, my evil characters, real to life. So he's Alan Warren as a as a young man. He's a there's not you know he's a nice guy. <laughs> But all of a sudden, uh, you know, something happens. He trips and bangs his head, or something, and, and then he's mad at the guy who tripped him, and you know, they get in a fist fight. Next thing you know, he's uh, he's get facing charges, and then you know, there's certain things in life that just start taking Alan Warren uh, down the wrong path. And then he t- he's at a party, and he, he makes a bad decision, and uh, takes the wrong kind of drug that gets him addicted to it, and away he goes. But <laughs> Alan wasn't a bad yeah. guy to begin with, but life has uh, reared its ugly head, and has taken him one way and dave you know he's the he's the good guy and uh he's uh things you know he's had the fortitude yeah. to fight through these things and he's had the ability to or or the good fortune to not make that bad decision and you know, i think that's the only thing that really separates uh all of us from being on one side of the bars or the other I, you, you talk when i i don't know if i was on air or not but i used to be at the police service and when I was a teenager, I was very, very, very close to being on the other side of the law, and I actually had a child when I was 17. And I think he straightened me right out. So he actually kept me from uh, being on the wrong side of the law enforcement because I had to take care of him. So yeah, that's what my life is.
0: That sounds about right.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Except for I'm the I'm I'm not the evil one. I'm the nice guy. Yeah, well, I was just trying to flip <laughs> it so you guys can see each other. So yeah. No, no, yeah. I'm the good we, guy. We know
1: Dave's the bad one. Right?
0: Yeah. yeah, Dave's yeah, terrible. Absolutely. He sits in a pinto outside of a store. Waiting well, he's got a hype in his
1: name, so that's uh...
0: it's fantasy though. It's it's the ye old dollar store <laughs> that I hung out at. <laughs> crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff. <laughs> well, I think yeah, it's important. You got to show just because they're they're doing bad things, people have got to understand why they think what they're doing is wrong, is right. Because quite often the the bad guy is in a different world in their mind. And so they think what they're doing is the correct thing. Oh, absolutely. He's not thinking he's
1: evil, for sure. So I try to build empathy for the bad guy now that I've, you know, I was progressing as a writer. So like in the original series, you don't hear a lot about the bad guy, but as my next series started going, I I, I started to give uh, some feelings. And, you know, the bad guy has feelings too. Like just because he's a bad guy doesn't mean he doesn't hurt, doesn't mean he doesn't cry, doesn't mean he you know, isn't affected by life as well. It's the same as you and I, but uh so it, it, it's nice to see if you can get the reader to empathize a little bit with the bad guy. Obviously, you don't uh, appreciate what he's actually doing to the rest of the land, but...
0: Uh, but naughty girls need love, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, Darth Vader, how, how many people love Darth Vader?
0: Well, yeah. Well, they, they you know, the, it's the whole person, if you get to know the whole person. Exactly. That. So uh, so how do you, how do you um, write your characters in the sense of, in your mind, like, what are you... Are you sitting there, and do you have conversations with these characters, or do you see them and and listen to them and copy it down, or is there another way? That's kind of like the typical ways people say, writers say, that's how they 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 do their characters. What What's your experience?
1: Yeah, no, uh, I don't actually sit there and plot out the character himself. My character will develop themselves as I start writing about them, and then I'll, I'll introduce something about uh, Sadira, like Sadira's an archer, all of a sudden she's a left-handed archer. So I gotta make sure I write that in the spreadsheet. So you know, two books later she's drawn from left hand draw But uh I will make her cheeky or something like that, and just give her something different from everyone else. And then she becomes this fun loving, cheeky archer who is uh very good with a bow. She's and then the next thing you know, uh she's in a confrontation and you discover wow, she's got uh she's got a lot of attitude. So as much fun as she is around a campfire, when you're just sitting around telling tales, if you piss her off, you better take off because uh, she's one person you want to upset. So when I write the characters, I, I try to give them a, like a, something different that stands them out amongst the other people that they're around. So you know, someone might be a little quiet. Someone uh, might be very boisterous. Someone might be grumpy. Someone might be cheeky like Sidira so. That way they, they kind of stand out in your mind as you're reading about the characters. And, you know, you'll love Sidira because she's cheeky. You'll love Rook Bowman because he's a leader and he doesn't say much, but he leads by his actions. And you'll love Solerion just because he is, like I say, he's a very benevolent person and he's always trying to do good, even if it's, uh, even if, like, he won't lie. So even if uh, he tells the truth and that gets him in more trouble, that's just the character His he, he won't lie to keep himself out of trouble. So all my characters are hopefully, other, you know, the main characters have their own mannerisms, and hopefully the, the reader will enjoy reading them.
0: Well, how do you create dialogue? Some writers say that they, they read they read their dialogue out loud so that it sounds right to their ear. Mm-hmm. Some study movie dialogue, and, and some say their characters, you know, speak to them and they just transcribe it. How, how does it work for you?
1: Yeah, I would say all of the above, uh, there's when I edit, I edit uh, many different ways. I edit on screen, I edit on paper, and I edit out loud. I do uh, these live Facebook reads, generally on a Thursday night, and it's amazing that you know, you go write this beautiful prose or this beautiful sentence that this guy, this dwarf speaks out loud to the queen, and then you read it out loud, and geez, it Jesus sounds so corny, like you know people's not going to speak <laughs> like that. But when you're actually reading it on paper or on the screen, oh, that's that's brilliant. But when you say it out loud, if you're no, 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 I got to change that. So, it, through the editing process, I, I think a lot of the dialogue will change. One thing I do with my uh, dialogue, especially with my dwarfs, is I eliminate G's on the end of a like an ing word. I, I take the O out of the word to, and uh, the the F out of the word of. So when they're speaking, I write the way I hear them speak in my head. And people said, don't do that. Just write them and. Tell people that they have an accent, but I want you to read them the way I hear them talking. And I don't know whether that's a detriment to my stories or not, but that's who I am as an author. So I say, you know, these are my books. That's the way I'm writing them. And if you don't like it, well, you, you don't have to read me. But, uh, so my dwarves have their own language. Uh, so they, they kind of bastardized the English language. And, uh, my half giant, I got a half giant in the Sulphur sag. He's a great big dullard, but, uh, You know, he he comes across as this big dummy, and uh, he's stronger than an ox, but uh, it doesn't seem too bright. But at the end of the day, when you get through all three books, you realize he's probably smarter than everyone else in that story, just because he's just see he's just commonsensical smart. He's not book smart. He just does the right thing all the time, and he says the right thing, even though it's simple. So that's another special way to make your characters.
0: Your violence on the page. um, Do you are you conscious of it? Do you think about how you write? you know, violent acts or violent happenings when you, do, when you do your writing?
1: Yeah. I, people ask me about, uh, you know, is my book age appropriate for certain ages? And I was uh sort of scenario was my, the first fantasy book I ever read in 1980 it was Terry Brooks. And, uh, you know, there's probably been better fantasy books written since then or even before then, but it'll always be my favorite because it was my gateway into fantasy. I think it's a brilliant book. It instilled the magic of fantasy in me. And Terry, you know, it's fantasy, you're going to have death. Terry doesn't uh, go on like, uh, Terry Brooks doesn't go on like Terry Goodkind. I love Terry Goodkind too. We lost him uh, the other year, but uh, he, he kind of exonerates, Terry Goodkind exonerates the, the violence. Uh, you know, if he you're having this Richard Rawl when he has a fight, his sword cuts him open and his intestines fall out and it goes about all the gore. I don't do that. Uh, you know, we have a sword fight. Uh, one guy dies, he gets impaled by a sword. That, that's as far as I would go with that. And I don't write mine like George R. Martin either, so I don't have the hound drop and the F-bomb uh, every time you see him. So I write them for people of all ages. And with that in mind, I don't exonerate the gore, and I don't uh, I don't take the language to – and don't make it smutty, and I don't write like Sarah Maas, so I, I don't put sex in there. And, you know, people have relationships, but I close the door because if I wrote it, I think it would sound really cheesy. You can envision what they're doing behind that door a lot better than I could ever write it, so – I just want to write about the fantasy itself and not that kind of fantasy, the actual epic fantasy, so uh, yeah, so I uh, you know <laughs> I know my strength I know my weakness, and that would definitely be a weakness for me if I tried to put some spice in my books. I'd probably sell more if I did that, but uh that's not what I like doing, so I keep no if that. you don't but like, doing it, then,
0: yeah, if you don't like doing it, then don't I mean you'd be surprised, but a lot of times it's just being self conscious but you might be able to write better in that area than you think you can. it's just. But if it, if it doesn't fit what you're doing and you don't like it, then...
1: Yeah, that's then not what it. my story's about. And, you know, I know people will blend it in there, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But to me, if I was to read a book like that, I would put it down. because Not because I'm a prude or whatever. I like that kind of stuff as much as the next person. But that's not what I'm reading fantasy for. If I want to read that kind of book, I'll go read that genre, not fantasy. And it, It's neat that they blend it, so you get the, the mix of both. But, you know, that's not what I want to read. I want to read the epic fantasy. So I read fantasy. I want to read Budragus and Elves and Dwarfs. I want to read about the Lord of the Rings or the Sword of Snar or something like that. To, you know, oh, I agree. Actually,
0: I'm, shake, I'm that right? way too. Yeah, I agree totally, you know. Now, um, the big picture. When, you, when you're writing these series and you're going through with your characters and stuff, it, and it might happen organically or it might be something you think about, but is there a theme or a big picture or some sort of topic or something you want the reader to get out of the book or the series, and like I said, even if it happens organically.
1: Yeah, it will definitely happen organically. I, I don't purposely set out to put any kind of morals into my stories. Uh, I, I try to make them realistic, even though it's from a fantasy point of view. So, you know, like I say, we are talking about the empathy for the, the bad guy earlier, uh, you know, uh, prejudice, uh, all these different things that we encounter in our everyday life. I try to make all that stuff part of my books. I don't mean, I'm not trying to harp on prejudice in there, but I'm just saying all these different themes that we have that we deal with on a daily basis. I, you know, I just put them in a fantasy world. So all my characters are going through these things as well. Uh, I have a little novella called the Royal tournament. And when I started writing it, it was just a fun story about this guy who wants to partake in the, the Royal tournament. Like he, he, he likes to joust, but he can't because he has to help his father bring in the, the crop whenever I have the Royal tournament. But, this year it's happening in his hometown, so he can actually do both. And then he befriends this black person, and this black person is ostracized by most of the contestants in there. And uh, he's heard different things, he's never dealt with black people before, and uh he's you know hears the rumors about them and he's thinking oh, but all of a sudden he gets to know this guy and he realizes that you know the skin color means nothing. And it, it, you know, Elcyon, who is the black person, is there's no difference. And he discovers this. And so the reader sees this through his eyes, and it, it just shows. Uh, it was, And I didn't mean to go that way, but that's the way that story went. So he's trying to, to help out Elcyon, uh deal with these short-minded, or closed-minded people who are, for some reason, society's uh, ingrained this in their head that uh, this color skin is... Not as good as that color skin. So, you know, that does come into even fantasy stories as well. And so that's how that story ended up. And it certainly wasn't uh, um, meant when I first started doing that. But uh, like I said, I just try to write about things that happen in everyday life. And we all encounter uh, prejudice and everything else as we go through life. It doesn't have to be black. It could be Mexican. It could be Chinese. It could be Islam, whatever. And it's, it's, it's very, you know, we're an ugly world as far as the way we deal with people. Like, at the end of the day, we're people. And I, I try to put that in my books. The same with elves. So the elves and and people. So I try to play on that, where people with the round-top ears, they're called round-tops, and they got pointy ears. And, you know, they look at each other strange just because their ears are different. Like, how does that make the person different inside? It doesn't. And uh, it's just how shallow right. how shallow we can be as people at some time.
0: Yeah, people laugh at me because I got a mullet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it. I'm not that bad. They would laugh at me if I
1: tried to grow it, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, because mine's a wig from the dollar store. (laughs) That's right. The old dollar store. The old dollar store. A dollar would mean a lot back then. Yes. When you look at all the work you've done, you've written quite a few books here and, and a few series and all this stuff like this. But for instance, you finish Wind Walker and it's book three, get it in there, it's all done, it comes out and stuff like that, and you're going to start doing the next book. But when you stop at that moment and if you were to look at yourself and kind of what you've accomplished and you've kind of looked at where you started from and what you're doing now, how do you think each book itself and like the last one you did, how do you think it's changed? changed you and how how does it change you as you go through this 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 series of writing
1: yeah i don't know if it changes me per se uh people always ask me what's my best book and i say it's the one on the computer that's not sitting on the table in front of you i as an author i work with a, a professional editor and I, you know, I work with other people who are uh more professional than i am and they help uh help me refine my craft so soulforge was sat in my head for 35 years as i worked on it uh Will always be my book, baby. It will always be the most special book to me in the world. So if you had to ask me, what's my favorite book at Soulforge? Is it my best written book? Absolutely not. So uh, the funny thing about that is it's the first book in my last series in my universe. So my universe is finished. Uh, I've got about another 20 books in my head that I want to write to do this, to tie my whole universe together. And I can just see in 10, 15 years down the road, people are going to onboard. With book one in my universe, and they're gonna read along, and they're hopefully they're gonna love it, and they're gonna get all the way to that last trilogy, and they're gonna hit Soulforge and go, "What the heck happened to that guy? <laughs> like, did he just suddenly lose his craft?" But and and it's not. It's because Soulforge is the first book I wrote. Hopefully, Wizard of the North, which is its sequel, is a little bit better because I learn as an author, and hopefully, Into the Madness, which is the the last book in that trilogy, is a bit better. Wizard of the North, and every book that I write will hopefully be just a little bit tighter, a little bit more well-written because, you know, I'm starting to adopt stuff that my editors are telling me that, you know, take away some of the LY words. I don't believe in taking them all out, but, you know, just tightening the story itself, getting rid of the the fluff. And uh, your descriptors become more precise, and hopefully I'm not long-winded and blah, blah, blah. But uh, so I think I get better with every book I write, by a little bit.
0: Yeah, sometimes the stories or what what the characters go through, in a way, you live it, and sometimes that changes you in a sense. That's that's kind of why I asked that question. Oh yeah, yeah. I write
1: to... fantasy, so uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and I, I'm I'm almost say you know, I'm I'm getting closer to sixty than fifty, so I'm kind of set in my ways. So as far as me changing, I'm an old dog. So
0: and and you know, in twenty years, when they're reading, they'll go, "Who's this old guy?"
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you're thinking that now, but yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you're at the daddy age. That's the popular. Oh, age. I'm well
1: past the daddy age. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> My wife has nice black hair, and uh, we walk down the street, and I always think that you know they're going to say, "Oh, isn't that kind of odd? The, the father and daughter are holding hands at that age."
0: Well, I always say, "Isn't that nice?" See, who says young people are bad? Look at that young girl walking that old man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big trip sure <laughs> hurt himself, and helping him, him find great. his way home. What a sweet girl! That's young. right. Yeah, young yeah. people yeah. are.
1: Well, hopefully, they see it that way.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I always say, whether it's true or not. I'm taking the upper road
1: there, you know.
0: So how long does it take you to do one of these books?
1: Uh, I was, if the books are 350 to 400 pages, I was getting to the point, because I I left my job in the police service because it was too stressful, and my wife started supporting us on her own uh, through an online business that she runs, and uh, so I could write full-time, and I was writing about three a year, and the nice thing about being independently published is I don't have the whatever that the big publishers do. Like Stephen King writes a book. It doesn't come out for two years because they got to do whatever they got to do to hype it up. And if he wants to write two in one year, they say no because one will be you know, lost in the other one and all blah, blah, blah. I don't need to worry about that. I'm a professional editor, professional cover designer, so I do everything properly. But as soon as I get it done, I upload it to Amazon. I take it to my printer and, uh, which is in Toronto and uh, Toronto, Canada, and I'm selling my book the next day. So that's one of the joys of being an independently published author. That's one of the few joys of being an independently published author. If uh, Penguin came, up, if Penguin offered 500,000 to look after my stuff, I would gratefully say there you go but uh i'm not going to be picked up by a small publisher because i don't want to lose my rights
0: and you like you and and you like um doing shows and all that it seems like you're on there every every time i'm on social media you're at another show
1: yeah i'll be at the royal medieval fair uh this weekend it's one of my bigger shows Uh, but uh so to answer your question before uh these, these books I'm writing now, The High of Guardians, they're 600 pages to 700 pages, and it's taken me a, a good year. Uh, when, uh, the one I'm writing now, When Legends Rise, is not even going to be that long, but it's taken me even longer because my wife had her hours cut, and I decided, you know, I better go out and get a part-time job. So I, I work in the morning now and outside of the house again, and it's, I make more in one of these shows than I do five weeks of working. So these shows are amazing for me, but they don't happen every week. If I could do a show a week, I would never have to work again. But, you know, these shows are kind of uh, uh, sporadic. They happen once, like this fair will happen once a year. I'll do one in Fergus that happens once a year. So I get about six of these shows in a year. But it'd be nice if they happened every week, but they don't. So uh, now I, I'm I'm doing about one book a year now.
0: Now, there, it's quite a group like this, um when you go to the medieval things. They're they're it's a real uh, loyal group, isn't it?
1: It's quite the following it. It's really cool. Uh, same with comic cons, and I I don't do as well at comic cons. They kind of hit and miss. You never know who you're gonna, you know, what kind of crowd you're gonna have that day. People at comic cons are looking for uh, images and manga and bobbleheads and whatever. But you know, but there's enough people that will buy my books at a comic con. But the neat thing about them is uh, these are we was talking about collective people that. And I don't say they're eclectic, but they're, they're different. They're nerdy. They're uh, introverts. They were they, you know, they don't like going out in the world too often, just because they I don't know if they feel different. I'm not sure why, but uh, I love going to the comic cons because you've got these people who are so shy and introverted and everything else. They're out there and they're having a great time because they're with their crowd, and it's really neat to see them flourish. You know, they dressed up in the, all these outlandish costumes that are amazing. Like the, the effort they put into them is incredible and uh so i you know, i will dress up too i put a knight's costume on i'm a i'm a wallflower like i'm very introverted myself too i would never have done this unless i was became a writer and i only do this to try and sell books but i i dress up as a knight now and uh it, it's it's when i'm selling books at a medieval fair and people love that they want to take their picture with me because i am dressed up as a knight and you know here's the knight the author i think it's really cool that i participate in that as well but uh So I I love doing these events, just uh, obviously to sell books and get new readers, but I love seeing the people that generally don't uh, do well in society for the most part, but all of a sudden here's their genre, here's, you know, they're with their crowd and they just love life, and it's so cool to see them come out of their shell.
0: Yeah, I think you were dressed up like, wasn't it, Sheena? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes like Linda Carter when I do the Comic-Cons, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh that that must be fun. <laughs> uh, okay. So listen, uh people finding you. Where do you like to be found? Um besides these events, uh social media, website, what what have you got going on?
1: Yeah, I've got a website that's uh, www.richardhstevens.com. Stevens is spelled S T E P H E N S. Uh the H is in there to like I say uh to try and differentiate me from uh, the the 100,000 other Richard Stevens in the world. Uh, there's probably even more, but uh I uh, put the H in there that makes it a little bit more uh, search engine optimal. When you're Googling me, if you Google Richard A. Stevens fantasy author, I should be the one that comes up now, which is really cool. Uh, you can contact me through there. Uh, I, I'm i on Instagram, and I'm on, well, it's not Twitter anymore. Is It's X or Z or whatever that freaking thing is. But I don't enjoy that. My wife looks after that stuff for me. The only thing I enjoy doing is Facebook because – I can talk to you. If you want to talk to me on Facebook, you can send me a message through messenger and you and I can have a, you know, a conversation really quick. It's just almost like texting each other on a phone. And I'd rather talk to my fans that way. So I, I always encourage them to reach out to me, talk to me, send me an email, I'll do whatever. Uh, my email is Richard H. Stevens one, because Richard H. Stevens was taken. Richard H. Stevens one at gmail.com. If people want to reach out to me, I encourage that. And I also encourage people that live close to me to, uh, email me. If you want to buy a book from me, I I invite you to my house. You know, I I don't have to worry about paparazzi because I'm not famous. So I don't have people stalking me, but I've got a 2,500 book library and I invite people to come in and see my library. And I actually built a secret library. So I've got this one panel the, one bookshelf that actually moves aside and I keep all my original manuscripts in the secret room. And I try to, I ask them to try and find which bookshelf moves. So it's kind of a fun way to, uh, engage with my readers i don't have as many readers as stephen king so you know i don't have to worry about people lining up about the block and you know making my life uh less enjoyable i would i would think it'd be really cool if actually someone did stand outside of my house and take a picture because i you know then maybe you know you got it and speaking of that i said to my wife i will know i've made it as an author if we ever find my books in a secondhand store and you know, that seems kind of funny because you think of it as a second-hand store. Maybe they got rid of your books because they didn't like them. But uh, my wife went into a store the other day, and uh, well, probably a few months ago, and she found my Rico's Flight Trilogy in there. Well, there
0: you go. That was me. Sorry.
1: <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> <sticking> <laughs> there. It was, actually, you know, because you're in there with, like, Terry Brooks and Ari and Salvatore, they all have their books in there. It doesn't mean that people didn't like them, but whatever's happened in life, the books have been... Uh, Donated, and my books were actually donated to a a thrift store, which is really cool. So
0: yeah, well, you know, and I spend my time driving around to the shopping malls, dropping my books off in the bathrooms. Yeah, (laughs) you know, do what you have to.
1: I I go on cruises and stuff like that. You know, we travel the world all the time, and always forget to bring my books. And we were on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean, or sorry, in the Caribbean, and they had a library there. And I'm thinking, I should have brought one of my books and stuck it in their library. (laughs) How cool That's would that right. be? People going down That's the Caribbean
0: right. and there's Richard A. Stevens on the bookshelf. That's right. Leave it everywhere you can. Yeah, That's yeah. That's all
1: I do. You know, I leave it <laughs> everywhere.
0: hmm You know, doesn't always end up in a good place. But, no, no. But listen, um, so we're going to have everything up on our website, too, so people can find it with one click. They, no problems there, and uh, it's all good. You know, I actually have to put an R in my name, too, because there's that Alan Warren and... Back where you are in your area, and he's a foot doctor, and he writes books. So Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to keep us separate, right? I yes, don't it, want to start yes. reading about feet.
1: It's a small world. Though. I <laughs> in, Please check done. And uh, this is before, like, a lot of the Internet was mainstream. And I remember sitting on the other side of the counter, and the officer would type away, and then he'd look up at me with a frown. And then he'd type away, and he'd look up at me with a frown. He did that seven times. There were seven Richard A. Stevens in Canada, and three of them are shady. So he's making sure I wasn't one of the shady ones.
0: Well he he made that mistake,
1: <laughs> yes he yeah, this is before I joined the police officer, so yeah, yeah, yeah if that's yeah, right, so did. I fooled him absolutely,
0: yeah, fooled him, fooled your way all the way through, yeah, yeah, so you're still doing that uh, lurking podcast and dressing up like uh people? yeah, we
1: just did uh we just did one on Tuesday, and uh we did, actually did uh, a reading from uh, Wizard of the North, so uh David Kelly, who's a science fiction author, he actually dressed up like Alhina and he did an amazing job because Al is a tough character to dress up as he, he's got pupilless eyes and he's got a long white beard and David looks more like you, Alan. He, he's a little shorter of hair on the top and, uh, yeah. What are
0: you trying to say? <laughs> 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 well, no, that's good. It's a fun show. I think it's great. It's very original and, and I give it two thumbs up. Um, Oh, that's anyway.
1: awesome. If anyone wants to come on, yeah. they're, they're welcome to shoot us a line and, uh, We'll uh, get you all set up. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, if,
0: if I was any kind of a man, I would, but um, I'm not. So, anyway, but it's good. I appreciate it. And we appreciate you being here.
1: I, I Thank course. you guys for both having me back. I, I enjoy speaking to you guys. Yeah, Pleasure. it's always fun.
0: Yeah. So, of course, you know, your new book is called Windwalker, or that's your latest book, High Cliff Guardians Epic Fantasy Series, Soul Forge Universe Book Three.
1: That's, that's book three in the High Glyph Guardians. It's, it's part of the greater Soul Forge universe. So the Soulforge universe is a whole bunch of different trilogies.
0: I just I couldn't say that ten times. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to have, have to have a cocktail. Anyway, Richard H. Stevens, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Eleanor Warren and David North, and Martino. Thanks, Richard. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts,